Welcome to the Joseph Carlson Show. Thanks for joining. We have the big news of the week. The economy is starting to open back up. Each individual state is making their plans of how they're going to open things back up. They all have different paces that they're going to be doing it. Different businesses are trying to reopen. We're going to be talking about this and especially how it has become a huge political battleground. We have people like Mark Zuckerberg warning against reopening the economy, that new cases of the coronavirus will surge. And we have people like Elon Musk Uh, warning about our freedoms and rights being infringed. This has turned into a a pretty divisive political battleground. That's where this whole issue has gone. So I'm going to be taking a look at that, especially some comments that Elon Musk has made. He said a lot during his earnings call. So we'll be looking at that. We also have this whole other drama between Universal Studios with the, the movie Trolls that they released digitally and AMC. Universal released this movie direct to consumer. It did really well. Now they want to have the option for future releases to release them both in theaters and direct to consumer, which would be a win-win for consumers. AMC does not like this idea. They wrote a very feisty open letter to Universal. So we're going to be taking a look at that letter. We also have portfolio updates, emails to go over, lots of different things to talk about. Now, before jumping into all this drama, I want to highlight this bit of news here. I want to start off with some positive news for change. This is objectively positive news with all the different uh, horrible things we're seeing with the economy, all the different political battles we're seeing. This is something where I think everybody can get behind it. Dr. Fauci has said that there's been clinical trials for this new drug, and he shares the results here. The trial ACCT1 was started in February 21st uh, of this year, and it was a randomized placebo-controlled trial comparing the Gilead drug remdesivir with a placebo. It was highly powered with about 1,090 plus individuals. So it is the first truly high powered randomized placebo controlled trial. So we give some overview here. This isn't some rumor that we hear online about a possible treatment. This is a real clinical trial with placebos. It's been done with hundreds of patients. He calls it highly powered. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it seems like a good thing there. Uh, But it's a real test with real results, pretty convincing results. Here's what the actual results are, though. The primary endpoint was the time to recovery, namely the ability to be discharged. That the data shows that remdesivir has a clear-cut, significant, positive effect in diminishing the time to recovery. This is really quite important for a number of reasons. He says it has a clear-cut positive effect at diminishing the time to recovery. He goes on talking about how it reduces the average time to recovery from 15 days to 11, which is a 31% reduction. So that's really good to hear. He also says that even though it's not proven right now, he thinks it will actually lower the mortality rate as well, because they saw trends of it lowering the amount of people dying. So this is objectively good news overall. We have a drug that can treat the coronavirus. We know it can help reduce the amount of time in the hospital. And they think the implications of this are even bigger than the drug itself. They know that this virus can be blocked. They know that other drugs will probably work to help treat it as well. So this is something the market reacted a little bit to, but I expected more of a reaction. When we see drugs that are actually able to treat the virus, I see that as very good long-term news just in general for people's health and safety, but also obviously for investors. Now, we have news like that that's positive with the treatment of the coronavirus, but we have negative news like this. The U.S. economy shrank at a 4.8% pace for the first quarter, and it's expected to shrink a lot more for the second quarter. Here's one of the White House's economic advisors. He shares what he thinks the second quarter GDP will be. 
we're getting that first quarter GDP number this week, then you're looking like it's pretty likely you get a negative number. Uh, and then for second quarter GDP, it's going to be the biggest negative number that we've seen since the Great Depression. But you're looking at you know, something minus 20 to minus 30 percent in the second quarter. And then the question is, what happens next? And that's what we're focused on right now at the White House. So the second quarter of 2020, we're looking at a negative 20 to negative 30 percent GDP growth. That's pretty bad. Having the economy shrink by up to 30% is not exactly a positive thing, but we know why. It's because we're all in quarantine and investors are trying to balance both of this news. We have positive health news. We have negative economic news. Do we think things are going to recover in the future? Now, that brings me to my portfolio. The way that I see this is we have two different routes that the market could take. It can either go up or down. Those are the two basic options. So I have a plan if it goes in either of those directions. What I'm doing in case the market has a big drop is I have about $9,000 in bonds. I moved all of my bonds into treasuries because this should work a little bit as a hedge, meaning that if the market has some huge drop or it goes down 20 or 30%, these bonds should go up in value. People will be taking their money out of different companies and they'll be putting it somewhere. A lot of times that ends up in U.S. treasuries. So these should go up in value in that instance. And that would allow me to sell out of these at a profit and then buy these other companies that have fallen in value. So that's the plan if we have a big second drop in the market. The other option is the market continues to recover, the economy recovers. In that case, my bonds will go down in value, but the rest of my companies will go up in value. So overall, I'll make money that way. So I have a plan in either case. I feel totally comfortable going into the market and investing right now, knowing that if the market goes down, I have a plan. And if it goes up, I do. Other than that, not too much has changed. I have the allocation of my portfolio, how I like it. I have auto invest turned on this $103 in the cash balance. That's not for me depositing that money. If I go over to the activity feed here, I filter by dividends. I had AT&T pay an $84 dividend. So I got paid that on May 1st, and then Verizon also paid 18 bucks. So that's where that $100 is coming from. This money is going to be reinvested back into my portfolio. It's not going to go into AT&T or Verizon. It's going to be put into my underweight holdings. So the strategy really remains the same. I'm just continuing to reinvest dividends, and overall it's done pretty well. Over the 48 companies that I own, three of them so far have cut dividends. Now, that's pretty good compared to the broader market. Lots of companies are cutting their dividends. I've tried to focus on ones that I think are a little bit more stable. There's still some that are up in the air that might do it soon. We have Simon Property and Real Estate that could cut their dividend. Uh, that's a mall REIT. We'll see if they keep paying their dividend or not, or they lower it. But having it where out of 48 companies, three of them lower their dividends during what is one of the worst crises we've had with this pandemic, I think that's pretty good overall. So I still have that income coming in. If I look at my dividends, I get them all the time. Even through a pandemic, through a recession, I'm going to continue to earn this money. Now that's all for my portfolio for now. I'll keep you up to date. If you want to see how this turns out week by week, make sure you're following the channel and I'll show you how this works out. If it dives down and we have some losses or if the market continues to recover like it has been, you'll be able to see either way. Now I want to move on to what I think is the big topic of the month. The big topic that people are discussing, the reopening of the economy. Here we have a map of the United States. Every individual state has outlined their own plans of how they want to go about reopening the economy, which I think makes sense. If you look at the U.S., it's like a bunch of individual countries. It's a very massive country. Uh, geographically, it's very different. If you look at New York, where people are living in skyscrapers stacked on top of each other, that's a different type of living condition than a place like Colorado. So 
having their individual plans catered around their geography and the specific outbreak in their area I think is is a good thing to do. Now in this map, the green states are ones that are partially open. The yellow ones are ones that are still largely restricted, largely shut down. So that's the breakup right now. Most of the states that are really heavy GDP states, meaning they have a lot of economic weight, are still shut down. We have Texas, that's a big one that's open right now. But Washington, California, New York, these are places that contribute a lot to our GDP and they're still mostly shut down but we'll see this change over the upcoming weeks. With these different states opening up, we have news like this. Simon Property, which is the biggest U.S. mall owner, is opening up 49 of its properties. So that's a lot of different malls opening up. They're doing this with a lot of caution. They outline all the steps they're taking. They're doing limited amounts of people in the mall at a time. They want people to, to socially distance themselves within the mall. They're taking people's temperature, asking people to wear masks, all that type of stuff. So they're doing it with caution. Everybody wants to open their business, but they don't want to have a resurgence in cases. They don't want the new daily cases to start spiking upwards and having to shut things down again. So that's what they're trying to avoid, but they do want to get things back in business because even Simon Property, which had a fantastic balance sheet before this downturn, this wasn't like Delta Airlines where they had no cash. They had a lot of cash. They're still hurting. They're burning through a lot of money and they need to get some locations open up. So they're trying to do that with a lot of caution. Now, of course, this issue has evolved over time and it's turned very political if you want to have the new thing the new hot button topic to argue about online reopening the economy is it that's the thing that everybody's debating everybody's arguing about it's turned very political we have one side of it that's concerned about the the health side and the health implications we have another side that's concerned about people's individual rights and constitutional matters that type of thing a lot of different opinions clashing online we have people in the business world like Mark Zuckerberg warning about reopening the economy. And then we have people like Elon Musk on the complete opposite end of the debate saying free America now. He believes it's an individual rights issue. In his Tesla earnings call, he talked about this issue and he had a very strong opinion on it. Here's one clip from this Tesla earnings call. And, and also to, to ask, you know, are, is it right to infringe upon people's rights as, as what, is, what is happening right now? Um, I think the I think the people are going to be very angry about this and are very angry. Um, yeah, it's like if somebody should be if somebody wants to stay in their house, that's that's great. They should be allowed to stay in their house and they should not be compelled to leave. But to say that they cannot leave their house um, and they will be arrested if they do, this is this is a this is a, this is fascist. This is not democratic. This is not freedom. Give people back the damn freedom. Okay, let's go to the next question, please. Thanks. The best part of that clip is the awkward silence and then the phone operator saying, okay, next question. But more to the point, you see what Elon Musk is concerned about there. He thinks it's fascist. He's worried about individual rights and freedoms. Uh, everybody has their different opinions on this. They have different arguments. I think that people have legitimate points on both sides of it. Uh, I just hope that we get to a point where we can all move on from this and argue about something else. That's what I hope. That as Americans, we can come together, get past this, and argue with each other about something else. It's the American way to do that. Now, uh, this isn't the only thing that Elon Musk that has stirred up some drama over the past week. He went on to Twitter and seemingly out of nowhere, he tweeted out, I'm not making this up. He tweeted out, Tesla stock price is too high, in my opinion. 
he tweeted out that his own company's stock is too high, which is an odd thing to tweet. This immediately resulted in a drop of about 10% in the company's stock. It's recovered a little bit, but it's still down like 8% of where it was. So Elon Musk dropped down the price of his own company by 8%. Now, this is an odd thing to see if uh, CEOs give their own personal uh, thoughts on the valuation of their company. I know they do that when they do stock buybacks. They're saying, I think the company's undervalued, but it's not a normal thing for CEOs to say, I think my company is overvalued. I don't think I've actually ever heard a CEO say that. So that's a new thing, but we have Elon Musk here. He likes to do lots of new things. Now, a lot of people have been worried about this. They are worried about Elon. They think that he's doing crazy things. They think the SEC is going to get involved again and try to regulate his tweets. Uh, I think there's a really simple solution to this. I can't be the only one that has, has thought of this solution. If saying that he thinks Tesla stock price was too high drops the company by 10%, he needs to just tweet out Tesla stock price is too low. See what that does. Will that bring it back up 10%? I'd be very interested to see what that tweet would do. So I want Elon to tweet that out. Tesla stock price too low, in my opinion. See what happens. Maybe he can boost up the company's value by 10% and then all things are even. Now, moving on from that, we have one more story I have to talk about. Even more drama here. So we're moving on from Elon Musk's drama to Trolls drama. The movie Trolls, the sequel, Uh, did really well being released only digitally. Universal was planning on releasing this movie in theaters first and then having it go to rent on your TV afterwards as per tradition. But we had the coronavirus come, people got shut down in quarantine and they had to change their plans. They said, okay, we're going to release this just direct to consumer. Well, what happened that they weren't expecting was that in three weeks of digital release, the Troll sequel has made more money for Universal Pictures than the original did during five months in theaters. In three weeks direct-to-consumer, it made more money than five months in theaters. That is incredible. So this caught Universal off guard a little bit. And the CEO of Universal said, you know what? We're going to release all of our movies in theaters and digitally direct-to-consumer at the same time. No more is it going to be exclusive just at theaters for months and then go to rent afterwards. So that's what the CEO of Universal announced. Now, of course, this news from Universal is a big win for consumers. Giving you the option of either going to the theater or watching it in the comfort of your own home is a win-win for consumers. You get the choice there. Now, most people like this news. One group in particular really did not like this news. AMC, the biggest theater chain in the U.S., they wrote this open letter. And I love these type of letters from corporations where you can tell that they're totally angry. And they're trying to, in a professional manner, express their complete anger of the situation. So let's go ahead and jump into this letter and read through some of it. It begins saying, this is a tough time with the coronavirus, all that. I want to skip to where they get to a little bit more of the meat of it. They say, for 100 years, AMC Theaters has served as a strategically critical and highly profitable distribution platform for movie makers. And for all that time, the exclusivity of the theatrical release has been fundamental. When a movie is only in theaters, consumers perceive it to be of higher quality entertainment. Countless filmmakers and moviegoers believe that their creative works are best enjoyed by consumers on the big screen. And we all know that those theatrical releases indeed boost publicity, positive word of mouth, critical acclaim, and downstream revenues. Now, right off the bat with their first paragraph here, saying when a movie is only in theaters, consumers perceive it to be of higher quality entertainment, says who? What type of evidence did they pull people to say, if a movie's released in theaters, we think it's going to be higher quality? I don't think that's the case. You look at a lot of content and there's really good content being released direct to consumer. I don't think people thought Trolls 2 
was any worse quality than the first movie because it was released direct to consumer. I don't see any evidence for that at all. Just because a movie's released in theaters does not mean it's going to be higher quality. Now, reading on this letter only gets better. Uh, AMC says that Universal stated it only pursued a direct-to-home entertainment release of Trolls because the theaters were closed and Universal was committed to a lucrative toy licensing deal. We had our doubts that this was wholly Universal's motivations, as it has been a long-standing desire by Universal to go to home day and date. Nonetheless, we accepted this action as an exception to our long-standing business practice in these unprecedented times. They're pretty much saying that we knew all along, Universal, this was your motivation all along. We had our suspicions, but we decided to trust you anyways, and you broke our trust. You broke our hearts, Universal. You wanted to go to -to direct-to-consumer all along. And then further on, AMC gets into the uh, the threats portion of this letter. They say, going forward, AMC will not license any Universal movies in any of our thousand theaters globally on these terms. It is disappointing to us, but Jeff's comments as to the Universal's unilateral actions and intentions have left us with no choice. Therefore, effective immediately, AMC will no longer play any Universal movies in any of our theaters in the United States, in Europe, or in the Middle East. This policy affects any and all Universal movies per se, going into effect today and as our theaters reopen, and it is not some hollow or ill-considered threat. Incidentally, this policy is not aimed solely at Universal, out of peak, or to be punitive in any way. It also extends to any movie maker who unilaterally abandons current windowing practices absent of good faith negotiations between us. So AMC saying this isn't some hollow threat. We're really doing this. We're going to ban you starting today. Universal can't show any movies in our theater. And anybody else, if you try this as well, we'll ban you as well. So uh, uh, here's the threat. They're making Universal out to be the deterrent, saying this could happen to you as well. Disney, you better watch out. You release your Pixar movies, your kids' movies, direct and consumer. We could ban you as well. So you better beware. You know, I look at this and I view it as a, uh, a pretty pathetic attempt to bully different companies into maintaining the same antiquated way of doing business that worked 20 years ago, not adapting to anything new. We don't want you to offer more options and more convenience to the consumers because we want things to stay how they are. We don't want any type of change. And Universal, you're trying to change things for the consumer's demands. We don't want that to happen. It's like an old legacy antiquated business model grasping for straws to stay alive. That's the way that I view this. It is clearly better for consumers to have the option of watching a movie in their household and being able to go to the theater, having both of those options. Many people will still choose to go to the theater. There are some movies that are going to be a better experience viewing them on the theater. But it would also be nice for you know times where you have little kids and there's a movie you want to watch at your home that you don't have a babysitter, you don't have an option of going to the theater. It would be nice if you could view that movie not months after it comes out. So having things work around the consumer is always the best way to go. Eventually, this is the way things are going to go. AMC is fighting a losing battle here. They're trying to delay the inevitable. Consumers will eventually get what they want. They will be able to have movies direct to consumer and be able to have the theater experience. So they're going to have to work out a way to do that. And I don't think that Universal should back down on this. I think all it takes is one more big company to do the same. If Disney says we're releasing all our movies direct to consumer and in theaters as well, is AMC going to block both Universal and Disney? I don't think so. I don't think that they can do that. That would be blocking most every big box office show, especially ones for kids. So this is a losing battle for AMC. We'll see how Universal responds, but I don't think that they should back down from it.
Okay, let's get to some emails. The email address is joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com. Again, that's joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com if you'd like to email in your questions, concerns, comments, criticisms, all that good stuff. The first one is from Keegan. Hey, Joseph, I saw the clip you shared of Kevin O'Leary on the episode today and was wondering if you had seen this clip. In it, he says that after COVID-19, companies, including his companies, will continue having people work from home and lower the amount of real estate that they have to rent. Specifically, he said that he'll be lowering his office space by 30% across the board, leading to an increase in profits of 7 to 10%. Do you think this is a possibility? I watched the clip. I think that uh, 30% right off the bat, I think that's a little bit exaggerated. But as technology improves, as the home personal computer gets more and more powerful, people get better cameras, we can communicate together without having a central meeting area, I think just working from home is going to become more popular over time. Just over the next 5-10 years, I think that we'll see people working in different states. So some people living in Texas will work for companies in California, vice versa. It won't really matter where you live to the job you're doing because most jobs we're doing are now on computers. We can communicate online with the internet, telephones, cameras. So I think that we're going to see a decrease in the amount of absolute demand for real estate, but it won't be a net decrease. So real estate will continue to increase, but just at a little bit slower of a pace. That would be my guess. But I don't think it's going to be some huge, drastic 30% cut to all commercial real estate that employ people. So uh, I, I don't see that going forward. But over time, I do think that businesses employing people will have better options than everybody commuting to one central meeting area. Ferdinand says, I don't get why it is important to know what you are buying. Everyone keeps saying this, but I find their explanations lacking. If someone else knows what he is buying and I copy it, what difference would it make if I knew it too for stocks? You bring up a good point, Ferdinand. Your knowledge of a stock doesn't impact its performance at all. So if I buy Apple stock and I've studied Apple as a company, as an analyst, I study it for thousands of hours. Me studying it doesn't change its performance. I just gain more knowledge about the company. So even if I buy it ignorantly and I just own the stock regardless of any type of knowledge about the company, the performance of the company is going to be the same. So two people that own the same stock, if one of them is totally ignorant and one of them is very knowledgeable about the company, both of them are going to have the same performance. The difference comes in when you have a challenging circumstance with the stock. So if you don't know anything about a company and it drops 50% in value, you start questioning why you even bought it. I bought it because of this person's recommendation or because this other person bought it, but now it's down 50% in value. What are they doing? Was this something they predicted? Maybe they're wrong. And should I sell it? I don't know. Is it going to go back up in value? I don't know because I don't know what I bought. Should I sell it before it goes down more in value? I'm not sure because I don't know what I own. That's the reason that you should actually know what you own is if it drops in value, you actually have an idea of what to do. You have uh, more conviction with your thought process with it. Instead of having a bunch of unknowns of not knowing what you know, what direction it's going to go, whether you should hold it or sell it, you actually have an idea of what you own. So you take the other example. If you buy a company that you know inside and out, the long-term view of the company, it goes down in value 50%. You might know right away, oh, the circumstances changed because I bought it with this type of thesis on the company and events have happened where the company no longer has the same story. So I'm going to sell out of it. Or you say, the story is the same. I'm going to hold the stock because I know exactly what I own. I know the future prospects of the company. 
I will buy more of it after it's dropped. So that's the big difference there. Knowing what you own helps you in cases when companies go down in value, you actually have an idea of what to do. Relying on somebody else, even if it's me or anybody else, you're not going to have the same confidence in the stocks that you picked. If you buy one based off of something someone else has done, based off of a purchase somebody else has made, and it goes down in value, you're going to start questioning your purchase, and that puts you in a difficult situation. If you have more of a clue of what you actually purchased, you'll have a lot more confidence behind the decisions you're making. Filthy Waters says, Hey Joe, I stumbled upon your YouTube channel yesterday, down a rabbit hole of concern for my financial future. Your dividend growth investing homepage video really inspired me, and I'm looking for some advice. I'm 23 living with my parents in New York City with a sociology degree and a minor in environmental studies. I'm also a musician and my job was working in college as a freelancer for $35 an hour. Now I'm waiting on unemployment, but I still have about $5,000 in savings. I'm not in a position to invest very much every month and I don't know much in regards to education about investment, but I like the idea of generating some passive income that I can eventually rely on to become more financially independent. I was wondering if you think it's a good idea for someone like me to start now. Also, if you think I should begin investing, how do I start? What's the plan? Also, any good recommendations for beginners? What would you do? Well, Filthy Water, I think that you follow the same path as a lot of people. You get into your 20s and you go, man, I really have a financial future. It's important. I don't really know what to do. And you start looking for solutions. That's usually a concern people have. You're 23. You have plenty of time, so you don't need to rush into anything. In fact, I would take some time to have things sink in and think about really what you want to do. Now, having said that, you say uh, you're excited about the idea of generating passive income. I am too. That's been a goal of mine. I've been working at it for a couple of years now. The goal of my portfolio, it's literally titled passive income because that's the point of it, to generate a growing form of passive income. In the last 30 days, even with this pandemic, this big recession, lots of companies cutting their dividends, I still earned like 260 bucks in dividends. That's almost $300 in passive income paid during a pandemic. So it is possible to have a pretty resilient stream of income, even in times like this. Now, uh, just some general advice. If you're unemployed, I really wouldn't start pouring money into investments. You might start doing research, constructing a portfolio, uh, figuring out what you want to do. But I don't think it's the time to really put a lot of money into the stock market when you don't have money going into your pockets that you're earning. So... Uh, investing takes decades of time. It takes continual deposits into your portfolio. That's the primary way that you build it to start with. You're not going to put $1,000 in and have it double and double again and double again unless you're doing something extremely risky and gambling. Having the compounding work, it's important to start early, but you really need a stream of income all the time. You get that stream of income from working, having a paycheck come in your continual deposits of those paychecks in your portfolio starts to build up your portfolio to begin with. Then you start to get paid dividends and interest. That money gets compounded as it buys more shares. So I wouldn't rush in right now if you're unemployed and you're living off of stimulus checks. I would not rush money into the market. I would give it some time to breathe, learn about investments, figure out what you want to do, realize that it's going to take years to build a portfolio. You're going to need to take some of your future paychecks and put that into the market over and over and over again. So this is a long-term thing. Now, generally speaking, if you're just starting off investing and you're just barely learning about this, I wouldn't put money into individual stocks. I'd hold off on that for a little bit until you learn more about how to look at companies, how to value them, really figure out the strategy you're wanting to do. I would probably focus more on ETFs. They're really basic ones that give you exposure to the broader market. I have a link in my description 
that's my Roth IRA pie, and that's three ETFs. They're very broad market ETFs that get you exposure to the U.S. economy as a whole. So that way you protect yourself against bad decisions you can make starting off investing. So that's not a, a bad route to go is to pick ETFs to begin with. And then as you gain more confidence and experience, you can pick some individual stocks that you want to have more of a focus on. So that would be what I would do if I was starting off. I would try to learn about this, figure out a strategy, maybe construct a portfolio, but I would not start pouring money into the market until you have a good active income. Before you start building a passive income, you need to have an active income. So I would get that figured out first and good luck with the job search there. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and end this episode there. I appreciate all of you. Uh, I am going to be doing a future episode, one of the next ones on how I pick dividend stocks, specifically looking at their balance sheet and seeing if the dividend is sustainable or not. If the company's paying it when it has no business to and it's eventually going to have to cut it or if it's something where they're on a sustainable path. So I'll be outlining different examples of dividend stocks that I think are bad ones and dividend stocks that I think are good ones. So if you're interested in seeing that video, make sure you're subscribed and it'll be uh, one of the next couple videos. But anyway, I appreciate all of you. Have a good weekend. I'll talk to you soon.